Thank you for calling Netflix. Your pitch is important to us. If this call is regarding a reboot of the show community, hang up now or you will be prosecuted. If this call is regarding a post-apocalyptic miniseries starring teenage-looking adults, press 1 to get funding for your pilot. For any other calls, please hold. God, come on, this is taking forever. Hello, you've reached Netflix, creator of Hillbilly Allergy. I'm your robot secretary. How may I help you? Hi, this is Rutherford Winchester. I'm calling about your upcoming documentary on the Salmonville janitor killer. And I believe that an interview with me would be invaluable to you. I'm sorry, did you say Rutherford Winchester? Yes, okay, yes, yeah, you've heard my podcast, I'm guessing. No, sir. I recognize your name from the package you sent us. You know, the photo of Noah Bornbach with his eyes clawed out. There was also anthrax in the envelope. Thankfully, anthrax does not affect me because I am a robot secretary. Please hold while I track your location to send to the authorities. everybody and welcome to the Salmonville Letter Writer. Now before we get started on this week's episode, I want to get some things out in the open. A lot of you listeners out there have reached out to me to see if I was actually keeping my intern Ivan captive. I'm not sure where you got this impression, but I just want to categorically deny- Rutherford, please, please let me out. I can't take more Boston's, no more dropkick burpees, please let me out. Ivan and I are very close friends. They're being fed the industry standard amount of rations. Hell, sometimes I even let them have tap water instead of rainwater. Ivan's networking, so everybody can please just relax. Okay, episode four time, here we go. everybody and welcome to salmonville news at seven i'm mindy marshall and i'm chet firestorm a b c d not e, right now, chet. our top story today the cdc has begun their rollout of the first rabies vaccine the five arm shot process replaces the long outdated 14 to 21 shot abdomen procedure previously used by doctors to combat the disease there is no way to know for sure what's in this vaccine. Not only does it leave a big boo-boo on your arm, but it could also change the chemistry of your brain. You should never take it. Guys, could we get Chet his new new? Hello everybody and welcome to the Salmonville Letter Writer. I'm your host, Rutherford Winchester. Last week, two new letters left one man dead and another permanently convinced that he was a toddler. 
The letter writer was now foremost on the minds of every Salmonville resident. Following the death of mayoral candidate Jason McCaffrey, Mayor Henderson ran the rest of the mayoral election unopposed and won easily with 34% of the vote. That first win was a mixed bag. Was I happy to win? Absolutely. But like I said before, I was heartsick over the death of Jason McCaffrey. We may not have seen eye to eye politically, but I didn't want to see him die like that. I should have been the one to kill him. All that said, I turned my focus to the people of Salmonville. Mayor Henderson's first order of business was outlawing elections in Salmonville, a law that stood firm until 2004 when the ACLU got involved. ACLU? More like fucking ass cuck. Leg unit? I, I want to try that again. I'm not really an improv guy. Uh, ACLU? Uh, more like S. Craig Larry Sanders Show? No. Loquisha the Movie? No, no. Lenny from Of Mice and Men? Lorena Bobbitt? No. In hindsight, one could argue that McCaffrey's death marked the end of a progressivist streak in Salmonville. Now, this isn't to say that anything progressive was actually accomplished in this period, but it is seemingly the only time in the town's history where people even considered it. I spoke to his former campaign manager, Michaela Feathers. When Jason died, his dream of a better Salmonville died with him. I had no idea what to do with myself for a while. I was so disillusioned. The whole staff was heartbroken. I knew I'd never enjoy working in politics again, so I left the game. I decided to go on a tropical vacation to get my mind off of things. While I was there, I got swept off my feet by a local man named Skewbjörn. I was so high strung and held up by work in those days. <laughs> Meeting a free spirit like him really changed the way I looked at the world. In the interest of time, I'm cutting out most of Michaela's story here. For those curious, she's basically lived out the plot of how Stella got her groove back, but only if that movie took place in Norway. After Skilburn died of his flesh wounds, I flew back to Salmonville. I went to law school and became a lawyer. I hold Jason's message deep within me and apply it to my work today. I only represent people that are actually innocent. Rutherford? Um, did you catch me winking just then? I, I was lying when I said that. I was lying. While Salmonville grieved McCaffrey, they also had to let the reality of Anchorman Chet Firestorm's situation set in. Deadlocked in contractual disputes, SNN owner Jeff Lamond was forced to allow Chet to stay on the air. I spoke to his granddaughter, Beatrix. The Chet Firestorm thing is just a fucking nightmare. That might be the only time Grandpapa's business tactics blew up in his face. Well, there was also the whole Bay of Pigs fiasco in the 60s, but I don't really think that was his fault. I mean, he sold weapons to the U.S. and Cuba, so it's not like he was playing sides. But as far as Chet, there was nothing Grandpapa could do. Chet remains on the Salmonville News Network to this day. We tried to get Chet to opt out of his contract, but the guy just kept drawing doodles of boats on the dotted line and reciting the alphabet. Chet will be at the SNN desk until the day he dies. We even have an office pool betting on the day he'll die. He's not sick, we just like to hope. Everyone in town was pretty freaked out by Chet's whole uh, thing. People weren't 
sure if it was like a fetish or like got out of hand or some sort of mind trick by the letter writer. At the time, people figured it it would go away, but it, it never really did. But I have to say, even though he does the news in an adult-sized crib, he's still a pretty good newsman. SNN is the only news network in Solomonville, so he broadcasted some of the biggest stories we've seen in the past few decades. Good evening, and welcome to Salmonville News at 7. I'm Mindy Marshall, and the man in the crib next to me is Chet Firestorm. Chet, my big boy, can you tell us the news today? Breaking news, Ronald Reagan continues to fight for his wife in the hospital following an assassination attempt. In other news, Jodie Foster's new film is sweeping the nation. Breaking news, the Challenger shuttle has exploded in the air. Every astronaut is presumed dead. Breaking news, SNL alum Phil Hartman has died of natural causes. Well, Chet, I think I speak for everybody when I say that you make me extremely uncomfortable. And I think the world would be a better place without you. And now, sports. By the way, Rutherford, thanks for bailing me out yesterday, dude. I completely blacked out. Do you see that judge, though? Yeah, she was hot. I know, Lester. You actually said that while she was setting your bail. Uh, but I, I put that payment in the production budget. So please just, just show up to your next court hearing. I will do my best to get there. You uh, never know with my schedule, but I want you to know that I've decided to quit the booze. Oh my god, that's great, Lester. Honestly, I, I should have guessed you haven't thrown anything at the computer this time. What? Lester, come Is that a bong? Alright, well, I guess, I guess weed is better than booze. Weed and PCP, motherfucker! Rutherford, watch out. There's a six foot tall raccoon behind you i will protect you i know karate come on man this is like the third laptop you've destroyed the pressure was mounting on the salmonville pd it had only been two weeks and the letter writer had already done considerable damage lead investigator randy peterson was in over his head after mccaffrey died the investigation turned into a total shit show oh i'm sorry pardon my french I don't want to be gross on here. <laughs> Let me try that again. After McCaffrey died, the investigation turned into a diarrhea bonanza. Around the time of the letter writer's emergence, the Salmonville PD was deeply understaffed, as a record number of high schoolers in the town were able to graduate, leaving few for the department to poach. It was really a disaster. We had no new blood coming in. And to make matters worse, a lot of the people we already had on staff were drowning in work to pick up the slack for the people on the SJK case. But I can't talk about that. I can't talk about it without waiting permission from Netflix. Fuck you, Randy. Basically, I was the only person on the letter writer case. Uh, I pretty much lived in the office then, which really got in the way of my second marriage to Vanessa. Uh, we drifted apart, and when she left me, she told me she was joining up with a, a religious group called Heaven's Gate. I haven't heard from her since, but I assume she's fine. Overextended and unlovable, Randy Peterson was getting nowhere with the case. 
Without access to DNA technology, there was not much else Salmonville PD could do aside from following up on the leads about the letter writer's identity. We got so many tips about who the letter writer could be. A lot of people called in the police station saying things like, My neighbor is the letter writer, or My ex-husband is the letter writer, or even 911, please help, someone's broken into my house, he's got a gun, I'm hiding in the closet now, please send somebody, now wait, wait, please don't shoot, I'm too young. So, nothing we could really go off of. I knew we needed to reach out to the state for some help. Randy reached out to the Rhode Island state government, but found little help there. God, those assholes up in fancy Providence. They think they are so much better than Salmonville because their tap water isn't green. They refuse to dispatch any investigators from the state police to Salmonville based on an outdated policy. The policy Randy is talking about is called the Salmonville Exemption. It was passed by the Rhode Island State Senate in 1943 following news that Salmonville's local government tried to pay town taxes with rotted deer flesh. Basically, Randy was up a creek. Towards the beginning there, it was a, it was a real waiting game. Everyone wondered when the letter writer would strike next. The letter writer, who had up to this point reached out to five targets, had yet to send a new letter after the Chet Firestorm incident. Randy had no choice but to wait out their next move. I must have read over those letters hundreds of times. Well, a sort of. I could not read at the time, so my secretary did. Her name was Janice. She ended up being my third wife years down the road. I, I do think it was the investigation that brought us closer together, but I know for sure that my inability to roleplay drove us apart. I, I just didn't like wearing that maid's costume every night. <laughs> we were only married a few months. Anyway, the letter writer clearly had a soft spot for Mr. Donald Hemsworth. Hemsworth was the only person who wasn't directly threatened by the letter writer. I decided staking out Donald's butcher shop might lead to some clues. Donald Hemsworth, the Salmonville town butcher with eyes that could light up the darkest of nights. I was starting to get a little nervous about the letter writer. After the McCaffrey death and Chet's, well, event, I started to wonder about how stable the writer really was. Looking back, that last ass photo he sent me was really blurry. From what I could tell, it looked like the photo was taken in some sort of shack. Now, the letter writer's pictures of his buttocks were always somewhat strange to me. Now, not the urge to show Donald what you're working with, I, I get that, but the fact that they were sent so often. It seems a little desperate, don't you think? I don't know if I'd call it desperate. That feels mean to say. Maybe, um, overzealous. I figured I might have a shot at finding out something new by staking the joint out. I even wore a disguise so I could blend in. I wasn't sure if I'd see the letter writer or not, but I figured it was worth a try. I remember that week. Randy came in wearing Groucho Marx glasses. I said, hey Randy, a few times, but he always responded with something like, who's Randy? Never met him before. Or, Randy, don't know him, but it sounds like he's one marriage away from finding his soulmate. It was weird, but he bought a lot of meat. So, I just went along with it. Donald had no idea it was me. Unfortunately, I didn't see or hear anything that gave me any idea of what the letter writer would be up to next. 
When I gave up, I went up and told Donald what I'd done, and reminded him to call me whenever he got another ass photo. I do have to say, after spending a while around him, I really admired his disposition. I don't think I've ever met someone so nice. Well, I don't really have a secret to being positive. I just am. I've seen a lot of bloodshed in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm a butcher. I've killed a lot. Have you ever killed before? Seen the life draining from another living being's eyes? After you've seen it enough, your emotions just sort of shut off. I just keep up a positive front when I talk to people. Hearing other people talk drowns out the sounds and shrieks that dying animals make when you stick the knife in. They run on loop in my head. When I die, there will be a row of cows, chickens, pigs, and roadkill waiting for me at the pearly gates, plotting their revenge. Whoa! <laughs> just just had kind of a brain fart there. Um, uh, what were you saying? With no leads to go on, the Salmonville PD was at a standstill. The people in town knew it, but they wouldn't have to wait long until the letter writer struck again. Picking the best dog is looking right at their undercarriage. I never pick a dog with a big dick. They never have enough wind resistance. You see, the little dick dogs have something to prove. Kathy Stanford, a school bus driver with a gambling addiction, was the second person in Salmonville to receive a letter. She was the first person to receive a threatening follow-up from the letter writer as well. Now, in her previous letter, the letter writer detailed their knowledge of Kathy Stanford's gambling habit, along with the fact that she routinely parked her bus at the dog track, covered it with a tarp, and left students inside the bus while she placed bets. I was obviously following the letter writer stuff on the news like everybody else. Seeing what happened to that Irish guy freaked me out. Now, don't get me wrong, I shed no tears when an Irishman dies, but... It made me nervous, you know, that the letter writer could go that far. But he hadn't sent me a letter in a few weeks, so I'd hoped that he had just moved on from me. I just tried to go about my normal life, you know. I did my normal routine, picked up the kids, hit them away, placed my bets, and got them back to school by third period. Kathy's betting habit often made Salmonville students tardy. It can't be proven for sure, but many speculate that the tardiness was a contributing factor to the astounding lack of literacy in Salmonville youth at the time. Kathy failed to heed the letter writer's warning. She received her next letter on July 8th. 1973. But this one wasn't in her mailbox. It was about 8.30 a.m., first race of the day. I just put 400 down on a dog named Nixon's accomplice. I had a really good feeling about this dog. Really tiny dick, just minuscule. You know, sometimes you can peel a little bit of wood off a twig and it's so thin that it's nearly see-through. That's what I'm talking about here. 
that dog had a Napoleon complex, I could tell. That's what Rin's race is. So I'm waiting on the race to start, and an employee at the track comes and tells me that someone just dropped something off for me at the front. I'd recently started smuggling pills on my bus to help pay off debts, so I figured it was some sort of drop-off. I didn't want to miss a race, so I rushed up to the front. To my surprise, there wasn't a case of stolen arthritis medication waiting for me at the front. It was another letter. I opened up and knew right away that it was the letter writer. I could tell on account of the golden glitter. Miss Stanford, Nixon's accomplice is looking good today, huh? Four hundred dollars. I didn't think you were working with that much. I took a stroll by your bus today. I left you a little surprise. I'm very upset, Kathy. I thought you were smart enough to listen to me. I thought you might have been able to wise up and see that I'm trying to make Salmonville a better place by correcting the flaws in our people. Your gambling addiction is hurting the youth of Salmonville. If you don't stop involving them in your habit, I will have to take drastic measures. Haven't you seen the news? Don't you know what I can do to people? What makes you think you're any different from Jason McCaffrey? You've put me in a tough position here, but I'm willing to give you one more chance, Kathy. Today you'll have a lot of explaining to do to your boss. If by some miracle you keep your job, this is your final warning to stay away from the track while you're working. If I see your school bus there again, I will have no other choice but to exact punishment. By the time you finish reading this, Nixon's accomplice will have already lost the race. Maybe someone put some melatonin in his dog food. Good luck, Miss Stanford. The Salmonville Letter Writer. P.S. Why does your bus smell like that? Those poor, poor children. Hi, everybody. It's Ivan, the intern. Rutherford hasn't credited the voice actor who plays the letter writer, so you want to make sure to include it here. His name is Jason B. Intern, I saw a ghost. No, you didn't, Rutherford. You're just, just imagining things again. No, 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 no. I really, I, I saw a ghost. Can you, can you please come in here and check it out, please? When Kathy went out to her bus, she found that the tarp had been removed and her tires were slashed. Many of the students had abandoned the bus, presumably to get to school on foot. However, their lack of reading comprehension made it hard for them to navigate. Most students ended up lost together in a local park and were found later that night huddled together for warmth. When they were found, the students were having a conversation about whether or not it was cool to eat someone if they died. In short, Kathy was in deep shit. I was horrified. Not for the safety of the kids, but for me. I mean, this was my job, or at least my cover job for drug running, I guess. 
I couldn't afford to lose it. I knew I had to call into work with some sort of explanation. I was sure I was getting fired. But Kathy got a lucky break. Town historian Lester Stanby. The school principal at the time was a guy named Clarence uh, Watterson. He was a he was a drinking buddy of mine. The night before, Clarence and I actually went out on the town drinking. Dude, one thing led to another. We ended up at Clarence's place to try his homemade moonshine. Made that shit in a tub. I don't know what was in it, but we were rip shit drunk. I must have blacked out for like four days. So when Kathy called in about the bus and missing students, I'm pretty sure Clarence didn't remember. I woke up with my dick in a pumpkin. Yeah, that one was a freebie. I didn't even have to pay for the damage to the bus. Called the principal and explained what happened, but his only response was singing along to the karaoke version of Piano Man. Yeah, that shit was something else. Uh, you know what? I have a little bit uh, here at my desk. <coughs> Lester, you said you weren't gonna drink anymore, dude. Come on. <coughs> this is. This is barely alcohol, okay, Rutherford? It's, I use it as paint thinner. It's more like a poison. Uh, speaking of which. This was a major break in the case for the Salmonville PD. Due to the Salmonville exemption rule, Salmonville schools were not given funding by the state of Rhode Island. Instead, it had federal funding. Because the letter writer had admitted to taking part in the destruction of the school bus, which was federal property, Randy Peterson was able to call in help from the FBI. When I heard about Kathy Johnson in the bus, I, I jumped out of my seat and screamed, Woohoo! I was excited about the prospect of getting outside help on the investigation, but I wish I hadn't done that. I mean, there were 15 children missing. It was a little awkward. Randy called the FBI, who agreed to send one agent to assist him with the case. Fifi Green, an FBI veteran, arrived in Salmonville on July 9th, 1973. My name is Federal Agent Fifi Green, and I assisted with the Salmonville Letter Writer case for a couple of weeks in the month of July 1973. Fifi was no stranger to blackmail cases. I had worked a similar case a few years before that. Bob Dylan, who is an FBI informant, started receiving threats in the mail. After a short investigation, I discovered that the threats were being sent from the Democratic National Committee. Turns out they thought Bob Dylan was a Russian because he kept singing songs about striving for world peace, which has communism written all over it. The FBI met with the DNC and concluded that Bob had to be killed. But in the interest of his fans, we replaced him with a body double. That's why his music sort of sucks now. This is off the record, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. Your secret's safe with me. Fifi went directly to meet with Randy at Salmonville PD to go over the case. Man, Randy Peterson. What a sad little man. I still think about him from time to time. I mean, I'd never met someone so unaware about how people felt about him. I mean, the Salmonville cops were constantly pulling pranks on him, like loosening the wheels on his chair, throwing staplers at him, and even hitting him over the head with a frying pan. Randy always just laughed and said, Ha! <laughs> yeah, we got a bunch of kidders in here. Fifi's involvement in the investigation marked a turning point, as the first two suspects were named not long after her arrival. After looking over the case, it became pretty clear to me that Randy had about as much a chance of solving that case as he did of having a successful marriage. In my eyes, there were two obvious people that he hadn't even looked into yet. 
The first was obviously Jeff Lamond. Jeff Lamond was the largest benefactor in Salmonville, but his time as the mayor, owner of SNN, and previous involvement in corporate espionage meant that he would have had access to the personal information of Salmonville residents for decades. I decided I should meet up with Lamond sooner rather than later. I set up an interview for the next day. I met with him at his mansion, where he told me that he had nothing to do with the letters, and even expressed a worry that he might receive a letter himself. I didn't buy what he was saying for a second. I think he could tell, because he offered a bribe pretty early on into our interview. Lamont may have been rich by Salmonville standards, but being rich in Rhode Island is like being sexy in Antarctica. Does it really matter? Beatrix Lamont, Jeff's granddaughter. That FBI agent is lying through her damn teeth. Grandpapa would never bribe a federal agent. That wasn't his style. He had nothing to hide. Well, a few of the staff in the mansion had died of carbon monoxide poisoning, so he was trying to hide that, but that had nothing to do with the letter writer case. Maybe I shouldn't have even brought it up. Can we cut that? Whether or not her hunch was right, Green didn't have any direct evidence to tie Lamont to the letters. She moved on with her investigation. After I finished the Lamont interview, I asked Randy what the post office had to say about the letters. He said he hadn't even reached out to them. She was real concerned about the post office. Uh, I didn't get it. I mean, what would the post office know about a mail fraud case? Guess people from the big city just think different from us regular folk. At this point in 1973, Salmonville only has one mail carrier. Now, up until the weeks before, they had had two. As we mentioned last week, a town resident named Chris Kyle killed this postal worker with a sniper, believing him to be a threat. He was not charged, and the postal worker's body was left out in the street until a dog dragged him away. Anyway, there was one postal worker. Her name was Esme Bright. Fifi Green reached out to Esme for an interview, which Esme declined. Now Esme, who still works as the sole postal carrier in Salmonville today, has agreed to sit down with me for a series of interviews. This is the first time she'll be speaking about the case publicly. Now, before we get started, I just want to say one thing, okay? And I really don't care if people think it makes me look guilty. As a postal worker, you do not talk to the feds. They treat us mailies, that's the nickname we have for each other, like absolute shit. The whole government does. I mean, why don't we get guns? The cops, they get guns. But the cops in Salmonville can barely spell their own name. You think we don't have to protect ourselves? You know, in the media, postal workers are always getting attacked by neighborhood dogs. <laughs> yeah, right. That's such Hollywood hogwash right there. In Salmonville, postal workers get attacked by teenagers. And also, you know, dogs sometimes, but mostly the teenagers. It's true. A lot of teenagers in Salmonville like to pull pranks on Esme. Younger children fear her, often sharing stories about Esme, portraying her as some sort of boogie woman, or maybe a boogie male woman. I don't know. Kids usually throw rocks at her, is basically what I'm trying to say. A lot of people in this town don't like me. But they could never do what I do. Delivering the mail is hard, tedious, and backbreaking. In a lot of ways, I control the information in this town. The people know that, and they fear me for it. Now, I had asked about Esme in previous interviews. Oh, yes, the postal woman who doesn't blink. Esme? The, the mail lady? 
Dude, she creeps me the fuck out. Sometimes she gets excited, her eye goes weird. I saw her whispering in my mailbox one time. I used to see Esme down at the dog track from time to time whenever she had a delivery. They wouldn't let her near the track after she threw a boomerang at a dog that she said looked at her funny. I used to feel like Esme got a bad rap. Being a single woman in a town like this is not easy. People talk. She was just a lady doing her job. At least that's what I thought before she, um, before she bit me. I've tried to have that woman fired time and time again. She just does not know how to be discreet. One time, the gate to our house was locked, right? And she couldn't deliver to our mailbox directly. So she screamed, Beatrix, your son's blow up doll is here at the top of her lungs. And all the neighbors could hear her. Hey, Rutherford, you think you got away from me that night at the pharmacy, don't you? Once the heat dies down, I am coming for you, motherfucker. I have a bullet with your fucking name on it. I don't like these people, and they sure as shit don't like me. But I didn't get into the mail game to make friends. I did it for the benefits. Pretty good, actually. Next time on the Salmonville Letter Writer, we'll talk more with Esme, Fifi, and the rest of the Letter Writer recipients. After a month, the Letter Writer had already caused a death and government intervention, but their trail of bloodshed wasn't even close to ending. Now, as I record this, the body of Jim Malconi, the man whose death brought me to Salmonville in the first place, is on display before his burial tomorrow. Even in 2021, the Letter Writer is still leaving carnage in their wake. Who could they be? What are they doing? What? Sir? What? This is a funeral procession? You cannot record your podcast in here. This is about the Salmonville letter writer case. I have to be here. Right, but do you have to record this while the congregation says goodbye? Alright, fuck you, okay? I'll record wherever I want. My dad is an NYU legacy. Sir, please don't make a scene. Oh, I'm not the one making a scene. Sir, just relax. Fine, fine. I'll just pay my respects and leave. Oh, Jesus, Malconi does not look good. Hey, uh, the, the mortician really phoned this one in, huh, guys? Right? Okay, whatever. Okay, who didn't properly set up the coffin? That could have happened to anybody. Be sure to stay till the end of the credits so you can hear a special message from Salmonville's mayor, Mayor Henderson. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Salmonville Letter Writer. The Salmonville Letter Writer's artwork is done by graphic designer Haley Mulvey. You can contact her on Instagram for commission work at Haley Mulvey underscore design. 
The Salmonville theme is written and performed by Max Shulkov. You can find him on Twitter at Carl Maximilian. I'm Ben Loftus. I write the show and I play Rutherford Winchester. I also can lift steel beams over my head, but I don't like to be braggy about it. This week's cast includes Al Christakis. You can find his YouTube channel at Al Christakis. Alex Lennon-Simon on Twitter at SheLickyBookie. Jake McDowell on Twitter at SewerTeen69. Callie Webb on Twitter at OldPalCal. You can also check out her podcast, My Friend Show, the podcast, on Apple Music and Spotify. Miles Brennan at MilesSucks. Ivan Tenreo, you can find them on Twitter at Joanna Newsome 41 Yessi Rigo on Twitter at Portuguese underscore Bruja. Riley Halliday, you can visit her website, thriftsandprints.com, or her Instagram at thriftsandprints. Neil Linsky at Neil Linsky. Alex Forrest at Hitch Will Smith. Alex and Neil have a new webcomic named People of Beer, which you can follow on Twitter at People of Beer. Sarah Fristo on Twitter at Roden Sheriff. Patrick Doran on Twitter as at lunch underscore enjoyer. You can check out his podcast, Podcast About List, or his independent film, Jaxie. Jamie Loftus at Jamie Loftus Help. You can check out any of her podcasts, The Bechtel Cast, My Year in Mensa, and Lolita Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And lastly, Carter Hambly, who also provided additional writing for this episode. We'll be back next week with a mini-episode, and the following week we'll have another full-length episode. Isn't that exciting? Aren't you fucking excited? Hey everybody, uh, Rutherford here. Um, I'm not really sure why, but at the end of my interview with the mayor, he handed me this floppy disk and insisted that I include it in the show, so I'm just gonna tack it on to the ending here, okay? Sexy, can I just pardon my manners, girl? How you shake it, gotta play her like, ooh, Kodak moment, let me get my camera. All okay, alright, I, I don't know why he sent me this, but the mayor is spitting here a little bit. This white boy is crazy. I stand corrected, I didn't think the mayor had bars, but evidently I was wrong on this one. Girl, how you shake it, gotta play her like, ooh, it's a Kodak moment, let See you next week, everybody.